evening, ladies and gentlemen. Are you ready for some laughs? Are you? Tonight we have a chance to say, yeah, you're right. We're too extreme, we're too wild, we're too out of control, we're too full of our own shit. Or we have a chance to say, hey, fuck you, you're wrong. Fuck you, we're right. Proving once again cats are smarter than humans, this is Anything Goes with Darren Frost. How the fuck am I funny? Dave Martin. What have we got here? A fucking comedian. And Kathleen McGee. And I'll execute every motherfucking last one of you. Can you dig it? All right. Hey there, everybody. This is Anything Goes with Darren Frost, Kathleen McGee, and Dave Martin. We are coming to you like we do every single week here from the XM Studios in Toronto. This is a uh, no-holds-bar talk show, but I, thought, I think we're, we're going to lose that sort of part Eventually. of the intro. Yeah. yeah. Well, we used to always do that. We used to say, hey, this is a no-holds-bar talk Ooh. show, but I mean, we're on XM. We're uncensored anyway, right. so if, if you have to wake up to that, you know, fuck you very much. And, yeah. But we, we have an amazing show today. This and, is a very special episode. We, uh, we asked Ron James to come in because there's a New Year's special on CBC, and uh, originally it was supposed to be only a 15-minute uh, talk uh, because he was running a bit late, and we thought he might be pressed for time, but we ended up talking for well over 50 minutes, so what well, we're going to do... For well, he talked for well. He talked for an hour and a half. Oh, man. I, uh, don't I think, think... We, we went to a time warp or some kind of continuum. He oh, talked a lot, but the great thing is, none of it was bad. That's the great thing. No, no, it no. It was all great, and uh, I give him a lot of props for staying for that long. A lot of guys would have tapped out uh, a lot earlier, so what we're going to do is we're going to go right into uh, the first uh, segment of the Ron James special interview and here we go let's yeah roll i it. just I, I do have to remind people that i am sitting beside darren for this interview yes i don't talk a lot but yes. uh do i am there yeah dave's uh, just yeah. got his mouth wide open like he's seen candy canes or well, floss uh, or something i don't know what that means <laughs> candy canes and floss doesn't do that to me <laughs> not anymore but uh, it's just yeah no i'm there but man it was just, uh, a, yeah. lot, a lot went down ron very opinionated uh, a lot more opinionated than i thought it was going to be which exactly. was great he was yeah. honest and truthful maybe just does he have a new fan in Darren Frost? I, I've always respected Ron. Exactly. Immensely. And yeah. you'll see why, because I say a bunch of things in it. I don't bullshit, and I don't lie, and nothing I said in this interview was a lie. And he doesn't bullshit either. Right. Yeah. Here we go. Joining us in studio, uh, someone who has, has, uh, has in the last couple of years, had a New Year's uh, Eve special on the CBC, and this year it's on New Year's Day. Uh, it's Ron James. Welcome to the show, Ron. Thanks for being here. Thanks um, for having me, man. So uh, the last couple of years, your, your show has been on New Year's Eve, and this year it's on New Year's Day. Yeah. And why is that again? Uh, we got the junior game on uh, on the same night, uh, New Year's Eve. Right. So, you know, I mean, you'd be a fool to, you know, go up against the junior hockey tournament right. uh, to try to get numbers. And it's, uh, you know, the television landscape so fractured these days anyway that, you know, you have to, you have to find your spot, your sweet spot. But, you know, I had my... Uh, we had the tradition with the television specials right. of New Year's Eve, and then when the series came on, we just continued with that New Year's special on New Year's Eve. Now, how different is the special from the show? Is it just an amped-up version of the show? Is it's there an something- amped-up version of the show, just a longer version, that's okay, all. Okay, right. And you've been doing the show now since the third year? Third year. We just got an order for more scripts for the fourth season. Great. So we've been in the room, and uh, i got a great writing room, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's everything. Who that's are some of the guys? Because we know Pete Zedlacher uh, was, was yeah, in your writing room. Well, no, he still is. Right. Uh, we've got uh, Gary Campbell is um, um, the head cheese in the writing room. Okay. And then we've got uh, Scott Montgomery, mm-hmm. uh, a brilliant uh, political mind. Uh, we've got um, Pete Zedlacher, uh, Mark DeAngelis. Uh, Paul Pogue, 
and uh, Jeff Rothpan. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, a big fan of Jeff. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a great pedigree and uh, funny, man. Just funny. He kills me. Yeah, no, and he's so great. I come in the room every day and laugh, and we talk, and we, you know, everybody... I, I just can't say enough about how important it is for somebody at the helm of their own show to trust the people who are taking the ship in the same direction as him. Right. And that's a learning curve, you know, because sure. we're, uh, you know, the uh, irony is we're a tribe of solo acts mm-hmm. and we've all honed our voice by ourselves, uh, stringing our trap line across the big wide open and you learn survival skills. And so, you know, there's actually... It's it's only reasonable that if you're going to survive by yourself on the road with an act, then you're going to have a certain level of protectionism about right. how how things are done. And what's been what was great about last year, my third year, uh, you know, I, I was putting stumbling blocks and impediments into certain things. You right, particularly scenes and balance with other characters and how they had to end and how they had to start and where I was featured in them and stuff. And it was just ego driven bullshit. It was protectionism. And so I just um, I, I, I just took the cuffs off last year and I said, listen, man, run with it. And we had a riot. Mm-hmm. It was a it was a much better season than one and two. Um, there was a change in the network and that was some adaptation on our part. But, um, if you know the voice of your show, and I think we do now, I think we planted our flag last year and at eight o'clock on a Friday night, I'm not there to reinvent the wheel. Right. I know I'm slipper food and I have to, um, but you know, I push the envelope where and when I can and how I can within the context of, uh, the rules and regulations of television at 8 o'clock on a Friday night. And there's a lot of people, you know, it's got to be filtered through lawyers, it's got to be filtered through insurance people, the network yep. has to sign off. So you'll learn a lot of things. But um, I'm proud of what we're doing. I think it's it's easy for, like, um, even, even myself, I've done this before, because before I started working in television and knowing how it works, it's easy to say it's not pushing the envelope enough, but people don't realize that there are insurance people, there are lawyers, and there will be someone that will call uh, CBC and go, uh, that offends me and I'm going to sue for whatever reason. There are people that do that, and people don't realize that. And you're going to be in the crosshairs with the mother corps anyway. Right. Look, the night of the long knives is coming, courtesy of the Tories, sure. uh, in March, right? It's going to be a bloodletting. Right. And, uh, you know, that liver lip little prick... Uh, Ezra Levant and uh, his crowd over at Sun TV. I think CBC is a convenient scapegoat. I mean, it's got to the point right now that just reporting the news, you're accused of being a leftist. Right. Like, bite me, man. Just because you buttoned down helmet-haired patriarchs have the key to the government store doesn't mean that we have to put our brain in the back burner. Right. But I'll tell you, there's been a shift in the psyche of the country. The liberals lost the reins of the Canadian dream because they fucked up so bad Mm -hmm. because of arrogance, because... uh, And you're seeing the same thing happen with the Tories, although that built-in arrogance was already there. But this manipulation of what it means to be Canadian and the branding of Canadiana, you know, know, as I said to people, I said, look, man, don't think Harper. You know, Harper has this opinion that everybody in show business lived the red carpet life. Yeah, well, yeah. when he was being coddled by Flanning and the neocons at University of Calgary, you know, me and my tribe were stringing our trap line across the big wide open, playing one-night gigs in towns with 500 people in them and two last names. So don't give me the line that this is uh, a profession 
uh, that's been coddled because everybody who I respect, who got to where they deserve to be, got there because they put their uh, shoulder uh, behind the mule and plowed. I think, you know, um, one thing that I, I think is very important is when anyone has a show that their name is attached to, and there's been very few in the last couple of years, that, you know, you have to fight because it is your name. If this was like, like the, the example in Canadian show business is like, is like Comedy Inc. versus the Ron James show. No one's name's attached to Comedy Inc. So all those people are going to be like, they're going to try to fight the system only to a certain extent and then probably go, hopefully the next time I'll be able to do something. But your name's attached to the show. Yes, sir. So, you know, there is a learning curve season one, two, and three. I understand that. And... Your whole history, and correct me if I'm wrong, has been on the back of hard work first and anything else second. Because, I mean, you're the first comic to really lay that kind of model down of I'm going into a small town the first time, playing like a, a gymnasium for, you know, 150 people. The next year, 200 people. The next year, 300. Yes. The next year, 600. Then I moved to a soft seat theater. And that's only done through repetition. Yes, sir. Good shows and hard work. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Thank you so yeah. much. Well, I, I always I always say that you you are the model for uh, like uh, why a lot of uh, like a lot of Canadian comics will get angry and bitter about how they haven't sort of made it to the next level. And I always use you as the example oh, of, thanks, of the guy dude. that has gone across the country and then just through yeah like hard work and 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 then just persistence and then just being like yeah yeah play this town and then when you get too big for that small town then you move to the next bigger town and it's just it's that sort of domino effect where you just keep building and building. Well, I, I can, I can, is your, is your question finished or was there yeah, more no, to just go? just making a statement of like, yeah. and now you're leading into doing your own show. I'm sure it has that same kind of work ethic because your name's attached to it. Absolutely. Look, there's no middle ground. You're right. working, it's a seven day gig, mm -hmm. right? I got a couple weeks off in January and, um, you know, I'm going to try to shift gears and recharge the batteries, however and wherever, I don't know. But, um, I spent a lot of time unemployed mm -hmm. the first 20 years of my career i never knew where a buck was coming from right. it's been 31 11 years now it's right. been a difference uh and i you know i'm not trying to be sanctimonious or carry a cross with this right but when i had my kids i got tired yeah. of waiting for that phone to ring so right. somebody else could validate my life right yeah and uh, that was a shift. Yep. Coming back from L.A. after three years of unemployment down there as an actor that was, the was early a, 90s, right? In the early 90s. Early 90s. Yeah. That was a shift. Right. And humping my, uh, you know, uh, humping my pros. I wasn't a comedian then, right? And I would just go up to Ventura Boulevard amateur night coffee houses and throw right. my hat in the ring yep. when the coffee house scene was first starting in the early 90s. And, you know, I used to tell people I shared the stage with the illegitimate spawn of the Manson clan, right? And all these cats were just wanting uh, uh, to be heard. They just, you know, it was the detritus of the American dream. And, and I was just part of 30 people. And then over here in the corner, when I got back and I started, uh, what was the friggin', uh, what was it called? The Artful Dodger, some pub? Yes, yeah, 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 hellish gigs yeah. where you were standing in front of the microphone and people were behind you eating yeah. when you were doing your set, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, politicians never had to suffer that kind of stuff. But when, when did you make the break of like making, I mean, I'm, I'm shaky town. you had to make a decision even once you started doing stand-up because you're also a comic that never made it on the back of a lot of festival appearances no. or comedy club appearances. I know you worked out of the Laugh Resort, but it's not like you did a, a big massive tour of comedy clubs. You kind of almost circumvented that whole scenario from the start. 
Well, there was. Um, uh, that's a good question, man. Thanks. Uh, it, it's. Uh, I got to give credit to the Laugh Resort and to the winter I spent at Yucks. Right. You know, um, I learned an awful lot fast. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I joke. I say my mentors were ten years my junior. Right. You know, there were good cats on stage at the right. resort. Right. Barry Kennedy, Tim Steves, yep, Mark sir. Farrell, uh, Steve Levine, Eric Tim Reichard, Eric Tunney. Yeah. Oh, jeez, eh? Yeah. You know, I did the last gig with him uh, in Vaughn before uh, before he went to California. And uh, I still remember him pulling away in a snowstorm in that Cadillac, you know. But anyway, someone set the gig up for us, and the guy came backstage, and Tony looks at me and goes, geez, Ronnie, I don't... I don't trust this gig. I said, why? He goes, man, I can't trust a guy with shoes like that. The guy had the shittiest shoes. And, of course, Tony was immaculate, right? And uh, he had, uh, you know, he had half a dozen uh, different beers he brought uh, on ice, and he just put them backstage. And these, these simple virtues of the work and meeting honest, good people uh, uh, has uh, inspired me too. But uh, there were a lot of things that, that helped me out um, and that I learned with having a good club like the resort, um, pouring a a strong foundation in the early days with Second City and learning the fundamentals of stagecraft, right? How many years do you think you did improv for, like overall, off and on, before you started committing to more stand-up? I'd say, well, I started the classes in Second City 1980 when I came up from Halifax, got in the touring company in 81, left main stage in 84 and was still in the company until... I guess 90. So I, I would probably say 10 years. That's a, that's a long time. Yeah, but I hit my high water mark with it down in Los Angeles. You know, I didn't, I wanted to, uh, I didn't want my point of view to be filtered through six other people. Right. And it's, you know, uh, really uh, an improv company uh, in theory is like the, uh, you know, Marxist Communist Manifesto. Fuck, this makes sense. Right. You know, until you got seven people on a communist farm trying to decide what color the tractor's going to be. Right. It's impossible. It's tough. And how, how, yeah, sorry. How do you, how do you find the like the restrictions of television? Just because I remember I was on the set of your uh, your uh, your show once, and uh, and it was like in 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 a sketch that you were doing, um, and it was it, it was the sketch where you were in the in the lineup and it, for the cashier, and the guy wanted you to donate to like uh, starving kids in Africa, and you didn't want to donate because you'd already donated. That was like the premise of the sketch, and I remember ask, and uh, I remember giving you a was line. that at a store when we shot at yeah, Reed Valley? Yeah, that, what was uh, the line you gave me? Uh, I can't, I can't remember what the line, but it's something about, um... You were, ret- I don't know. You were returning like a giant bag of cheesies, or something. I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah. I yeah. can't remember what the line was, but 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 you, you loved it, and then you went over and, and talked to the the director and some of the other, I don't know if some of the other yeah. writers were there, and you thought it was like it was a really funny line. It would have worked in the sketch, mm. and then uh, you, you went over. You know and you what it was, the- David? What it was? People had something against you. Oh, okay. <laughs> I understand. Well, that's, I'm, I, I, that's show over. They we said, don't have to go any farther. They, show said, over. they said, "Is that Dave Martin's line?" I <laughs> yeah. said, yes. "Yes." And he said, "Yeah, he's wanted by Interpol." Oh my God. So, well, no, but, brother, but you know what? You're coming back, and you go, and and you were saying, "Ah, oh, it was a really funny line," but that's the fucked up thing about television. There's the, you, but I remember you were talking about the uh, the frustrations in the the, the lack of spontaneity, and well, like, here, if something came it, up really good at the moment, you, you just couldn't do it because it's no. Set. Uh, that sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. That's all. There's no cut and dried rule right and you have to work um and um you know this is once again what helped where second city helped uh, despite the difficulties of trying to force a scene through uh, uh you know try to get your scene in a show uh 
is that it does condition you and it does teach you to work uh, collaboratively. Mm-hmm. And um, but you know there are times when I put my foot down and there's the line in the sand and I just say no, this is the way it's going to be yeah. because this is the way it has to be. But you um, anyway, uh, that was just an example of how things are thrown up yeah. and either accepted or not. But you know you learn not to take any of that stuff to heart or personally right. because it's such a wor- it's a work in progress right up until you deliver it to the network yeah right up until the last minute and marty and those guys were like that on sctv you know mm-hmm. like when they would uh bring me on uh, as a young player and i'd get like small parts and things and i was on main stage and i had no idea of course then i was just trying to make rent right mm-hmm. and so and you 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 learn to sit down shut up and do your part and they did not suffer fools. And that's one of the things that I've learned about, um, you know, the last 31 years is the road takes no prisoners and comedy doesn't suffer fools. It's a long haul, brother. But, you know, when Candy would be there or Flaherty or Marty and or Eugene and and uh, Catherine and, and Andrea, you were just on your best behavior. You were on your toes and you watched how they worked. Yeah. And I guess by osmosis and over time... Um, And they were always doing that, too, throwing a line in. Is that going to work? Is it not going to work? And everybody collaborating and no, go with something else. Boom, 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 boom. And it's just part of the process. Yeah. Yeah. But um, anyway, to get back to that question you had a little while ago, you know, and and I don't want to go on about Second City either because uh, I didn't have a great time there. And um, I, I, I still think it's valid. I think if you want to be a stand-up comic, improv classes are always going to be valid. Oh, it was hugely valid yeah. for me. Yeah. And it's it's. Oh, are you kidding? I well, mean, any, anytime you have to go away from your act and you have to deal with the crowd, or even just some something happens in, in the audience that you got to deal with. But so. it's an exponential leap from that, uh, from working in an ensemble to working in front of that light. And I didn't, I didn't jump to it right away i tried stand up on several occasions you know yeah. when i first came to toronto in 1980 then i tried it again in 1986 and i bombed miserably at this roadhouse out in uh remember that club that used to be down on front street called uh arbuckles back oh, in yeah, the yeah, early yeah. uh no- yeah. late, like late 80s wilmot and yeah edwards that's where i met uh, started yeah 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 me and wilmot and edwards were on stage yeah. there together yeah and uh you know and there's an arrogance that had developed with uh improv people that that was the way to get it done and i had to knock all that shit out of me because that's just that's just uh at least it existed then i find there's far more cross-pollination now i mean there was a stand-up club it's yucks, a lot, it's and there a lot was improv. friendlier environment i mean i remember when i was coming up improv artists i mean i my whole thing about improv is uh great improv is great but bad improv is just bad. Yeah. Where a stand-up comedy, sometimes bad stand-up is kind of funny for the, a wrong reason. Yeah. But improv is just bad, period. And there is a bit of an elitism attached to it. I remember when I was doing all my commercials, there would be auditions just for Second City people. But that doesn't really happen much now. Huh. Really? <laughs> yes. Really? Yes, yes. They would just bring them just in? Just bring in Second City people. Jesus. Yes. That was that was in the early 90s to mid 90s. Yeah, there was a lot of that. I did a lot of commercials. For yeah, a you're good of time. in commercials, man. I, I did man. A, a big run before my act caught up to me. But, you know, I remember that those days of like second Well, let me ask only. you about that about, you know, having the commercial run cuz I had commercial runs yeah, too, sure. you know. And don't you find that you hit a crossroads though where you just don't want to be doing the monkey dance for somebody's oh, can yeah. of soup? Of course. Oh, yeah. You know, and you just want to go. And, and that's what's so great about stand-up yeah. is that it allows you to to plumb the heart line and right. to fucking get that visceral hit and flip the bird to 
um, what we have to do, ironically, in order to make a living. Well, you know, the whole thing about commercials for me and why I became dead inside to them is because <laughs> <other> people <laughs> were not as smart as they thought they were in that business. They were English majors and they were just trying to make a quick buck. Their heart wasn't in it. Why would their heart be in it? You're in a fucking Walmart commercial. I get it. But just the way you mean I was the guys treated, who wrote them and created them? Not the creation so much as the people on set. I just, the, the level of uh, the way they treated us and we were the final thing on the list. You know, they spent more money on lights than some of the actors in these things and you're treated that way. Oh, yeah. And instead, up, you can treat me badly, but yeah. I don't have to stand for it. You don't have to stand for it, exactly. That's you know? the difference. It's like when those Procter and Gamble suits would come in, right? Right. Oh, man. You know, I, mean, I have that's... a degree in marketing, and I would know more marketing. They would be like, you know what? This is about brand. You don't understand that. I'm like, look, fucktard. All right? I have a degree in marketing. <laughs> you have a degree in history. I'm not going to knock <laughs> you, but turn. don't tell me. Fucktard. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but, you know, but I do I do fuck agree turn. that, uh, you know, that's what happens on commercials. and, and... Yeah, you hit your high water mark, and then when you get Get your rate up, man. You know, unless and you're going to walk on water on your hands, they're not going to pay you. Right. That sounds like a commercial that you might actually go out for. New Nabisco fucktards. New Nabisco fucktards. All right, that was segment one with our uh, guest Ron James. We'll be right back after the commercial. Stay there. You wouldn't pick them up on the side of the road, but thanks for listening. Now, this is Anything Goes with Darren Frost, Dave Martin, and Kathleen McGee. For the same reason you slow down at bloody car accidents, you'll keep listening. This is Anything Goes with Darren Frost, Dave Martin, and Kathleen McGee. Welcome back to Anything Goes with Dave, Kathleen, and Darren. Our special interview, part two, with Ron James. Uh, now, we also talked a little bit uh, before we started the show about, you know, the idea that you have done some festivals, but you didn't really make a name for yourself on these festivals like some other comics. No, sir. Like Just for Laughs. Like Jeremy Hotz, definitely his career was, you know, definitely helped by Just for Laughs appearances back when he did it, whereas your situation is not the same. No, sir. So what, what, do, you, what do you think about the whole landscape of doing festivals? Because I don't really see you do that many. I mean, is it because you can do your own shows and make your own terms and make your own money, so what's the point, or what's, what's really the reason? Uh, yeah, that's it, you know. I mean, there's uh, several answers to that question because there's several levels to it. There's Just for Laughs, and then there's the festivals. I started off with the Halifax Comedy Festival and the Winnipeg Comedy Festival. I mean, when Al Ray would have us out there to do those uh, customized pieces for radio. I mean, right. Glenn Foster, myself, Derek Edwards, uh, and... John uh, Wing. John Wing, yep. folks of that ilk. Yep. And so we laid the groundwork for um, what eventually became the Winnipeg Comedy Fest. And uh, I hit my high watermark with that because uh, I, I had learned how to control my own environment when not being, uh, instead of being at the mercy of somebody else's. And the comfort zone is everything for me. You know, I need my backstage space. You know, I line my notes up. I need to get my game face on on my terms. I have my espresso before the show. And I was beginning to develop a way of working that delivered what I figured my craft to a paying audience in the best way possible. Right. It was right? more suitable for. It was right. more suitable for me. Right. And, in fact, the last Winnipeg Comedy Festival I did, I think it was on Revolution, I decided to use cue cards or, or a monitor, and I messed up the set entirely. It was my worst set ever, and I said... I'm not going to do this again. And they had to save me through editing for that. The previous ones were excellent. The Prime Minister show actually got me my first special on CBC. Slocko Klimkiu, uh was there. And I remember I, remember, uh, I, was, I did about a half an hour on Robert Borden. 
And he said, Jesus, how do you make Robert Borden funny? And I said, I don't know. I guess being gassed and Passchendaele just seemed to tickle my funny bone. So uh, anyway, uh, and that was, uh, I think you got, uh, I think that was a $2,500 gig or I forget what it was. It wasn't much. So, but the Halifax Festival, uh, when I started out and I was far faster and far more frenetic and not having fun. I used to approach my shows like I was a Mexican welterweight, you know, <sighs> like I was going to fight with the audience. Right. And so as I began... Because you only had seven minutes. When and you I have was... A, when, yeah, when I you was have an hour, that's different. I was never a good um, um, eight-minute act. Right. I right. was never an eight-minute act. Yeah. And the guys uh, who I used to work with would say, Ron, you're trying to fit too much in there. And I did. I tried to fit too much in. Right. And, um, I mean, even to look at old festival footage from just for laughs oh jesus i mean i who is that guy right and i did montreal festival i think it was three times and i auditioned five times and uh they uh once at clubs i got a standing ovation once at club soda and I was really proud of that. That's pretty big. That was a really, really big night for me. Sure. You know, and I never had management. So I never President, had any. you're Canadian. <laughs> never had management, never had a wedge of, never had a wedge of, of you know, perpetually tanned, uh, snotty pukes walking in front of me. Right. And so there was no way to capitalize on that. So I, I had my standing O and uh, the band said, nobody gets a standing O here. I've never heard of it. Yeah. And you probably never even heard of mine. No, I'm, that's what I'm saying. Uh, that's what, what's sad about what you're saying. First of all, I never heard of any comic getting a standing ovation at Just for Laughs, especially not Club Soda. And I never heard about yours. And it was, uh, I particularly enjoyed it because the night before, I, I had a shitty set. Mm -hmm. And um, I got my shit together for that's, this particular event. And, uh, oh, Jesus, it was great. It was great. And then... Um, that's what I find with Montreal is that um, uh, the planets really have to line up for you because there's so many different variables. And I used to psych myself out, too, you know, because uh, you used to put so much pressure on yourself to kill yep. because there was going to be a door or a window that would open in Los right. Angeles. Yep. For 10 which, minutes. So you better make sure you do it right. Yep. You know? Yep. And uh, but the last All-Star show I did there was uh, uh, four years ago now. Uh, I got paid, but I haven't seen a penny for anything right. other than the initial payment. Right. There's never been so much as a buck 17 coming my way. Right. And then this brings me to the other thing with Just for Laughs. They became competitors with me. And I invited Brent Chies to see my set at uh, the center point when I was still putting Just for Laughs up on the pedestal as the only form of... Uh, as the, as validation. The validation yeah. for sure. me, yeah. right? And it was, a, it, was, um, it was a fool's gold calf, is what it was. And anyway, I invited him. And uh, he... Uh, it was, I think, the third show I'd sold out at the center point, and he was there at the third and that, one. And just so everyone knows, that's 800 people. That's, that's in a Ottawa. Thousand, that's a thousand. A thousand, It's sorry. in the PN. Yeah. It's a beautiful room. Yeah, I've played it. Yeah, it's big. Isn't yeah. it great? Yeah. Yeah. And I the, did a debaters. I didn't play it on my own. I just want everyone to know that. But yeah, but yeah, it's a big room. I hear you. And uh, so he said, the, the, you, you get... The, oh, yeah. You, <laughs> yeah. You, they, they, put, you, they fill like this all the time for you? And of course, me, yeah! <laughs> you know, and it's like, but and, and I kicked my ass now because, you know, eventually they would have found the fishing hole. But, uh, you know, 
<laughs> it's like my dad back in Nova Scotia. He showed his cousin this fishing hole, and he said, Now listen, don't you tell anybody about this goddamn fishing hole, Doug. <laughs> and, he go, and he says to me, he goes, I came back next year, Ronnie. There were three boats in there filled with what? Bankers, Ronnie. Fucking bankers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. the next year, they're on the road. Of course. And they've been on the road ever since. Sure. My argument with Just for Laughs is this. You know, they're subsidized by the federal government. Yes, Because they they're are. a cultural yeah. institution. Yes, they are. Okay? You subsidized? Am I subsidized? Nope. I've never had a corporate logo on one of my posters. Right. Jesus, Murphy, you know, they're worse than a NASCAR driver yep. for, for corporate logos. Yep. And uh, if they put as much effort into introducing Canadian comedians to foreign markets as they do foreign comedians to Canadian markets, I, I wouldn't say a word. Right. But this is the first time I've, uh, you know, I've thrown a torpedo across their bow, and they can say what they want. But they don't do the same for us that they do for everybody else. No, no. And no. now, Jesus, Murphy, they're like uh, Weyerhaeuser, you know? I mean, there is an ethic, okay? There's an ethic in terms of running a running your business across this country. We don't have 350 million people like they do south of the right. border. We've got 32 million. And I've always believed there's room for everybody sure. if you structure your tour accordingly. Right. Like you don't go on sale the same day as your competitor. Right. You leave a cushion. Right. That's bad business. Right. Yeah. Okay? Well, the British invasion went up for sale the same day that we did. Yeah. I outsold those guys in every market in yeah. Atlantic Canada. I, the reason I know that is because I did a dirty tour of clubs at the same time. And so everybody was fighting for press and for, for kind of positioning. And everybody was telling me how well your show was doing and the British Invasion Tour, which is a hard sell because nobody really knows those acts. They may be hilarious acts, but nobody knows who they are. Well, you know, uh, uh, I feel bad for Steve uh, sure. in that He's respect. You know, He's yeah. a great guy and an excellent comedian. Sure. Steve Patterson, yeah, Steve the host Patterson, of the, yeah. yeah, and he does a great job in the debaters. And, uh, you know, he makes me laugh. He's, mm -hmm. uh, he's a trooper, you know. He's a player in the trenches. And that's uh, all of us are in the trenches together. But now that's them, right? They also had their logo on the Blue Collar Tour. 75 yes. bucks a ticket. Yes, yeah. I'm also on the road when Seinfeld, and although he's not associated with Just for Laughs, I'm just giving you an idea oh, yeah. how glutted the Louis market... Louis C.K. was a Just for Laughs presentation. Jim Gaffigan's coming through with a Just for Laughs presentation. All these comics are now Danny Just Boyd. for Laughs. Danny Dimitri Boyd. Martin. Uh, Dimitri Martin. Dimitri Martin. Um, um, John Panette. Yep. And let me clarify, I have nothing against a man making a living. Oh, no, no, you no. You know, no. nothing against no. that. But there's only so much money to go around. And also, when it's subsidized by the Canadian government that the way they are, it's a little shady. A little shady? It's bullshit. <laughs> it's plain, right. upfront bullshit. Right. Yeah. Right? And it's because they're a Quebec cultural institution. I'm delighted Halifax got $33 billion of shipbuilding money, mm -hmm. you know, because, you know, they'll be uh, fucking chewing on a bone about that in the Saguenay until the continents collide, right? Because right. it didn't come their way. But that's the other thing about bumping up against a performer when he's trying to sell tickets to, and they're exactly like a clear-cutting lumber organization. They'll leave nothing, and they'll take it all, and they'll complain when the tickets are down. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I talk to theaters. I talk to theaters, sure. too. And they will tell you. They'll tell you. They like to play their, you know. Look, it's it's not living up to expectations. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, I put, my daughter gave me a birthday card when I turned 50. She made it herself. It had a picture of 
uh, it had, because I share birthdays with uh, Justin Timberlake, uh, January 31st and Carol Channing. And she had those pictures on the front of this cardboard thing. It was like, uh, you know, she made it in Simpleton School. She's hilarious. Anyway, the front says, the front of it says, sure, they're famous. And you open the inside and it's got a picture of me when I hit my tipping point when we went to the MoMA in New York and I was sitting cross-eyed against the wall. Just, you know. <laughs> anyway, that's the picture of me inside. It says, sure, they're famous. And you open it up and says, but did they get six shows at a Red Deer? Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. And it's just, and shit, the first time I went into Red Deer, I mean, Christ, we had half the theater filled. Right. But this machine of Just for Laughs is a juggernaut. And it is an institution. And you can't help but uh, admire what they've done from nothing, but with government help. Right. And if they are going to be as diligent about promoting foreign, uh, um, American, British, and Irish acts and Australian acts across Canada, why aren't they as diligent about promoting Canadians in Australia and Britain? You know why? Because they don't think we're as good as them. Mm. I think that built-in bias exists. Well, I mean, look, I'll give you an example. Someone like Stuart Francis, right? I saw Stuart do showcase after showcase in the 90s, killing with material, killing, and never getting Just for Laughs. Then he went to England, became somewhat of a bigger comic in England. Then he came back, and two years ago, he did Just for Laughs. Two of his jokes got jokes of the fest by the newspapers. Those two jokes are the same jokes he did in the 90s on those showcases. Come on. Yeah. Okay. Come on. So all, all I'm saying is, you know, everyone has the reason for what they book, and sometimes it makes no rhyme or reason for it because here's <clears> someone <throat> who had to leave the country and become a bigger act, and you're one of the few comics that left the country, not much happened with you, you did the whole up and down of Shake It Town, you came back and you made it on the back of hard work in this country. Thank and there's you. not that many that can say that. Guys like even like Mike Wilmot had to go to Britain and now into to Australia to make it. Huge fan of Wilmot's here. work, and I, and by the I way. I do too. I love Mike too. Uh, I have to tell you this, you know, uh, Wilmot uh, and... Uh, you know when I, <clears throat> excuse me, when I got that um, Canadian Comedy Award the, the first year, uh, the yeah. first year, you know, um, uh, I saw Mike there, and uh, it was such his performance at the uh, at the Bear Pit, at the Edinburgh Fringe, mm -hmm. changed my life because mm -hmm. I went over there with Shaky Town, and I had not learned yet to break the fourth wall. I had not learned yet to throw it all away and just meet the audience face to face on the battlefield. Right. And I saw, and and this is like three tiers of shit-faced Scotsman. Oh, yeah. Right? You know, I don't know if you've been there. Oh, yeah. But the only, it's Thunderdome. The only yeah. thing missing was a midget on a pulley. Yeah. Oh, right? yeah. I know. And Wilmot, it was Rich Hall, kills. Yeah. Wilmot goes out, kills. Yeah. Right? And I just sat at the back of the room going, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. And I followed a Jamaican poet. <laughs> Uh, Which we and, all should occur at some yeah. point. At some point. Yeah. And it was about 30 seconds into my set, I uh, hear, you fucking suck. And this <sighs> can of Newcastle Brown comes spinning through the air, right? <laughs> and I, uh, I ended up continuing my run there. Uh, I got a scathing review in the Globe and Mail. This guy came to interview us. Uh, he interviewed Wilmot, who was killing at the Gilded Balloon. Uh, he interviewed some uh, again children's puppet company from the beaches, and then they interviewed me. And when I got back from Ing uh, from Edinburgh, no one could look me in the eye because the article was so devastating. Mm. But I learned watching Wilmot then and there that I had to make some serious changes in the way I approached my work. And I've learned along the way watching a lot of comedians because mm. I was just 
look, man, I was just a working Joe in the comedy trenches, you know, and you either care about it or you don't. And the guys who didn't care about it got their reward. And the guys who did care about it have their reward because you know what? They're at the top of their game and they have the virtue of being able to do this work. And that is the virtue, right? And I know it's frustrating when you can't make the money you'd like to make, when you can't have the boons and the accoutrements of success because it's always being rubbed in your nose, you know? If I hear Russell Peters quote his fucking salary again, I'm going to shoot myself. It's right. not about the money, buddy. Right. Yeah, exactly. When yeah. you shut up, right. it's not about how much you make. It's about what but you're he, saying. I agree with you, but I also understand why he's doing that because he his experience in Canada was not the greatest. And sometimes I think he does. I'm not defending him, but I think he plays these giant Thunderdome arenas and brags about the money to give the middle finger to the industry in Canada that never gave him anything and gave everything to Sean Majunder. And I think that's part of it. Gave it to Sean Majunder? Yes. Oh, I'm mean, not saying Sean isn't funny. I'm not saying Sean doesn't work hard. Sean worked very, very hard. But in Russell's opinion, Russell worked just as hard, and he probably views it that it was given to Sean and not him. Well, this is a this is a conversation for another day. I mean, right. I don't want to debate the semantics no, 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 of other men's saying, careers, yeah, yeah. but uh, it, it look it just comes from. I agree. I don't agree with you know, the I, I just money find either. It, you know, I, yeah. I mean, with all these guys in the trenches now yes. trying to make a living, is that to make two hundred bucks? And here's yeah, the guy saying is that what the million dollars. is that what the bar is? Sure, is ten million bucks. If you don't make ten million bucks, are you a failure? Right. You know, I was stumbling up on this thing several years ago. Right. I mean, I, I think I had a line in Road Between My Ears where I mean, it was just when the fame game really seemed to uh, I can shoot into the stratosphere, and and you know, and Billy Conley even says it. You know. He says, fame, fame, follow that, see what it does to your fucking soul. Right. You know, and it's it's no reward. The re, You know, but my argument is you never heard Carlin or you, you never heard Carlin or Cosby or Martin or, or even Robin Williams in his heyday long time ago talk about how much they made. Right. It's that's not the goal. Right. The goal is to try to connect the dots and make sense of the chaos we're all walking through in the language of funny. It's to bring the complexities of life down to a, um, a fundamental level so the working Joe who wants to forget his troubles for the week fucking feels good that you carried his knapsack for a while. And with all due respect, I know uh, that's not to say that you know, if you fill the Air Canada Center, the people who bought the ticket aren't getting that reward. Of course. I, I'm but not what, what you're, what you're saying is, is what you, every person gets into this business for a different reason. And there's reasons why comics consider, cons consistently put out new material and chase that dog. And then there's ones that don't and just chase the fame. And it's <clears> very <throat> much a big fork in the road amongst comics. And one comic chooses one path, another comic chooses another. And there's nothing you can do about that. No, there isn't. No, uh, but you can have, um, you, you, you know, I've had the good fortune to be surrounded by a great team, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, Lynn Harvey is my executive producer who produced all my specials except the first one and carried me to another level of professionalism that I don't think I would have achieved by myself. Uh, I had an ex I have and still do an excellent producer who produces my live shows. Mm -hmm. And um you know we have the same kind of working ethos where you know him and his family are you know actually you know <clears throat> taciturn humble Scottish people from eastern Ontario. 
that it just happened to be synchronicity that we connected, right? I was booking myself in theaters, and uh, him and his son came in one day. They wanted to move into comedy for music, and the guy at the theater who, uh, up, up in Lindsay, Ray Marshall, said, oh, this guy's pretty good, and... Uh, it's because I cut him a deal. I, I had a negotiation there, and I was supposed to do a gig for the town and the Cadillac Club at the same time. Two people showed up from the Cadillac Club, and not very many people showed up from the town. Right. So it was a nice <clears throat> way to start. So I've had, I've had people on my team that um, keep it real. Mm-hmm. You know, that my dad, um, he, he keeps it real. You know, and people who I... Uh, respect and admire who aren't in the industry uh, you know that it's just uh, uh, talking money or talking this or that is it's it just not part of the equation you have, you, you, it's not like you've surround yourself with a lot of like yes men that'll not like that'll bullshit you about like I think you're going to be successful if you surround your play uh, yourself with people who tell you no well exactly you know I, I, I think that you you need honest honest well, longevity feedback. anyways I've, uh, absolutely longevity, absolutely yes. buddy like I, I don't know I mean I just uh I tried to sit through the movie the love guru uh, uh the Mike Myers effort and uh I, all wow. I could think was like I would never ever, and there's a very very good chance that this will not happen, so I don't need to worry about it. But I would never want to get so famous that I would just surround myself with people that wouldn't have the balls to come up to me and say, "This is a really shitty movie that you're making right now. We should really make some changes with it." I, I would just, I, I'd always worry about like um, no one, like I That's said, that's exactly it, what happened. Yeah, well, that's I, exactly what happened. It, it would just be like I, I would worry about no one ever being honest with me because they're constantly worried about we just gotta agree with them. We just gotta agree with them. Absolutely, and, and don't like I. I would rather have people that would be like, wow, this is, you've really fucked up. This shouldn't even have started yeah. or anything like that. Um, one thing I wanted to... You can feel the temperature drop in the room mighty fast when you disagree with Myers. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. the, the thing is, we, we, this is a culture of, of yes men in a lot of ways. <laughs> Nobody wants to stand out in the cold and say, I don't agree with you if the rest of the people are all saying yes. It's a pretty hard position to take. So everybody wants to be liked and everybody knows that um, they've got a roadmap to the, uh, in, you know, the bucket of gold. Right. Not, you know, that's why. And, of course, Hollywood, that, that toxic corner of the, uh, of the world is, is driven by that. And um, but it's 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 how you disagree and how you guide that is the, um, you know, the mark of maturity, I think. And, um, you know, once again, I think the love guru is was a perfect example of a very, very talented man uh, uh, who had two very successful franchises. Sure. um, Just. Losing his way for a bit and uh, chasing the wrong grail. Right. And he chased the grail of staying on top rather than quality work. Because I defy anybody to say that Axe Murderer wasn't a great little movie. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the, the Wayne Campbell and Austin Powers franchise weren't, um, weren't you know, comedic milestones. But the, the temper shifted. And when he was working on The Love Guru... Judd Apatow was coming out, and these other cats were coming out with these authentic comedies of real people yeah, with relating real with situations. real situations. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, boy, it's never been a great time, to, uh, a better time to watch good comedy, and from America's point of view, anyway. Sure. And you know, and that's frustrating for us here too, you know, because you, you know, you see that standard um, and the amount of money uh, and the amount of talent that's available to have faith and drive the next level, which is 
movies. And I don't think, you know, that's that's one thing I'd like to see happen here is, an, you know, a genuine, a genuine Canadian comedy that isn't sold by hype like... Uh, um, well, that breakaway movie, the one that I, I hate going back to Russell Peters, but that breakaway movie, you seem to be banking on him rather than the, the actual movie itself. It just, I mean, he was in all the trailers and all the previews for the movie, and I think he had a pretty small part in it. Yeah, yeah. But they were really trying to sell the movie on Russell when it wasn't even his m- movie. Well, from a marketing point of view, I mean, you'll yeah. agree that that's sure. probably astute. You know, you've got uh, one of the most famous comedians and the richest ones in the world yep. uh, in your film. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, I'd like to see, um, I'd like to see uh, a, a good ensemble film like that occur in Canada and that's one of the exciting things about the television show and um, you know we've and we're always looking too. you know I mean we've built up a nice little uh, um, cadre of talented people whom I've had the good fortune to work with over the last 30 years Pat McKenna Deb McGrath hilarious woman you know uh, Naomi and Matt have done the show and uh, Raul Benesia uh, and uh, the folks in the cartoon, uh, Linda Cash and, and uh, Blair Irwin and um, folks like that. And so you get to see uh, the uh, level of comedic talent that exists in the country. And I'm making a promise to myself to get out to the clubs now and see who's there, mm-hmm. see who, because I spend so much time working and writing, you know, uh, and I want to know what's going on. Right. And, and because I can only depend on the casting agent so much. And, uh, but I, you know, I'd love to see, uh, uh, I guess I have a dream of maybe getting a film done here somehow. And, and, uh, you know, the only frustration is that, you know, it might be seen when for five days at Cineplex, right? Yeah. yeah. If you get the tax credit. And that's the chase here, right? Rather than the work, it's all the chase. It's like Eugene Levy said several years ago, uh, when one of his films was, uh, was at, uh, at TIFF, uh, he said, uh, said, no, man, in Canada you're excited if you, uh, if you get your money, yeah. if you get your tax money. Uh, yeah. and I mean, he's a good example, right? You know, a, Isn't he a, a great example? A, a comedic icon. <laughs> but what I mean, a comedic icon of, of SCTV moments and all this other great work, and most people still recognize him from the movie where he fucked a pie. Well, yeah, he didn't fuck a pie. No, but I'm saying yeah. never saw that pie. one. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like the Christopher Guest stuff he's done in the last ten yeah. years is brilliant. The SCTV yeah. stuff is brilliant. Uh. But pop culture wise, he was in the movie where someone fucked a pie. Oh yeah, his you kid, know what I mean? Yeah, his like kid, American Pie is kid yeah. fucked yeah. a pie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Huh? Did I lie? Wasn't that great? That was the end of part two. Stay tuned for part three right after this break. Guess which host bought a Shania Twain album just so they could do blow off her tits. This is Anything Goes with Darren Frost, Dave Martin, and Kathleen McGee. Guess which host has to start their car with a breathalyzer? This is Anything Goes with Darren Frost, Dave Martin, and Kathleen McGee. Dave still has his mouth wide open and doesn't say a single thing throughout the interview. Here's part three of our interview with Ron James. I couldn't get a word in. Yeah. yeah. Uh, One final question, then we're going to let you go. We've talked a long time here, but what what is in the future for you? Obviously, you're going to do this this special for New Year's, but what do you want to do in the next year? Is there something that you haven't done? I'm getting the the book bug. Are you? Yeah, you know, I'd like to put something down about uh, the last 14 years touring the country, you know? And uh, expand, uh, you know, take some tangents on um, 
and random houses are you know have approached me mm-hmm. and and I just haven't been able to find the time uh, and uh, but I'd like to ex- explore some of the uh, moments that I've had in my specials and uh, and expand on that especially now that uh, the Tories seem to be branding the country in their image and right. uh, it's never been a better time for uh, a satirist but you know you're gonna be hearing quiet brother trust me uh, you know, I, uh, <laughs> uh, Harry Dupe, uh, happened to show up at one of my performances at the Windspear Center. There were 2,000 people there, and I, I just finished a book called Dirty Oil, and, uh, I, um, I referred to the, um, you know, Fort McMurray as Petrocanistan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the loudest thing a comedian over here is 2,000 people in Edmonton going quiet at once. Yeah. But he said, uh, you know, um, way to poke the gorilla in the belly of the beast. And so you have to take your chances, and that's what, um, even though, and that's one of the challenges I'm finding now, you know, touring is that, uh, as I, I did, mean, before you can, you have to do that though. You have to, you, it's you have to do it because if you don't do it in the place that you're making fun of, then you shouldn't be doing, this is a big theory for me. If, if you don't do the joke in the place that you're making fun of, you're doing the joke for the wrong reason. It's a, then your whole act becomes a corporate gig, right? You know, and you can expect them to go quiet on a corporate gig, right. Be- right. and you never know when they're going to quiet right. quiet on a corporate gig. I mean, you can do something you did on TV and yeah. on a corporate gig, you, you know, it's flat as if piss. If you're going to make fun of Sudbury yeah. when you're in Sudbury, you better still do those jokes. Yeah, and if they laugh, then it's okay. If they don't laugh, then it's different. But but it's the rules of our craft, brother. Right. It's what we're here for. You know. That you know. Sometimes I'll do a corporate gig and they'll say, okay, uh, you know, don't make fun of Harper and don't curse. And I don't curse a lot, but I said to them, well, what'd you hire me for? Right. You know, because if uh, a well-placed profanity, judiciously so, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, wakes 900 pe- you know, sphincter twisted business people up. Absolutely. Yeah. Like they're not saying it when they're watching the market tank. Right. right. But you have to uh, find a balance between artistic needs and audience expectation. Absolutely. That's always been my rule on the road. It's a, it's a fine line. But as I've, you know, as I've... As I've grown from a comedian, I mean, it it it, it bugs me when, uh, you know, when people just quote that first uh, Tim Hortons bit that I did 13 years ago. You know, bovine Betty with the countrywide ass. Right, right. Because I've hit my tipping point, and uh, I knew that things were changing when Canada was so hungry for icons and mythologies that you couldn't make fun of a fucking donut. What the Jesus is the country coming to right. when this this company owned by Americans has managed to wrap themselves in the Canadian flag while they wrap our heart in a three pound fist of donut fat? Yeah. You know, uh, double cream, double sugar. What the what? If I can bilge water from a Russian tanker filtered through a prostitute's pantyhose would taste good after double cream, double <laughs> sugar. Right. And you take those chances and you. But to but, me, it's audacious that that is seen as sacrilege and right. that's seen as heresy and treason Absolutely. in this country. What the fuck? Fucking get your perspective in order, will you? But my, my thing is if you don't, like you've worked hard to get your crowd coming to see you, if you don't take those artistic chances, aren't you really wasting your time? Absolutely. It's like Louis C.K. No one goes to see Louis C.K. because they're like, oh, let's just go see. Everyone's there to see Louis C.K. do, do what, what he, he does, does yeah. and what he wants to do. You know, and no one comes and sees very small people amounts come to see me in certain venues. They're more coming for a comedy show. So that's a harder line to to drive for artistic reasons. But if you've got 
you know, 800 people there who have seen your special. I do think it's part of your duty to be artistic and take chances. It is part of my duty, and that's the only way you'll grow. That's the only way you'll sustain yourself over time. You know, because when you're killing time in Chilliwack on a, on a fucking Tuesday afternoon yeah. in February, you know, before the gig that night, you better be damn sure that when you're going to hit the stage, you're going to say something that's going to, uh, you know, fire— Resonate. That's going to resonate. Yeah. You know, that's going to have an impact. Yeah. And, you know, I like words. I, I, you know, and I like to think, you know, I never underestimated the intelligence of the room ever. You know, I remembered long time ago in Second City, everybody would blame the audience, you know, when people blame the audience from time to time. Like when they throw the net to get a free audience in for my tapings at, you know, at uh, CBC. It's like, Jesus Christ, what was this pill day at the fucking clothes ward? (laughs) You know, it's like, Jesus, Murphy, we've been writing these monologues since March. Can I get some register from you? Can I get through that cloud of fucking Percodan you took before you sat down in these free seats and just react to me? That's very, that's the biggest challenge I have with my show is selling this well-honed, well-crafted, um, uh, edited and uh, material to people that um, are basically coming in because, you know, they somebody got in touch with them there, you know. And sometimes you'll have a good audience and sometimes you won't. But that's where the club years come in. That's where the years, the skills of the resort. And, uh, you know, those five years I put there were just instrumental in changing my life. Instrumental. It was a great club. It had a television demographic. Uh, it was run well. There were a good bunch of cats there working on their craft. And um, it's been a good road, man. It's been, a, a, a you know, frustrating at times. You know, nothing comes for free. Uh, but um, I, uh, uh, I'm i looking forward to the next 20 years, right? Right. As uh, soon as I get my knees scoped this winter because I'm starting to wear straps on them now on stage, right? Right. I'm getting up there. But anybody and everybody who who does this work should remember what they do it for. And it's because... That's hard, though, because a lot of guys, they get, like you said, the fame or, or anything, and they start to lose track of why they started it. Like, I got into this to write material, so I'm, you know, I'm trying to get, I'm working on my fourth DVD. I know you have, like, six DVDs, and there's other guys. Wilmot's done, like, five acts. Kenny Robinson has, like, four one-hour shows. Fantastic, you know, but, hey. but this is the reason why we got into it, but, you know... Unfortunately, some other people don't. Well, you know what? That's that's going to be their cross to bear. Right, absolutely. And that's going to be their their road. Right. But, you know, I, I come back to Joseph Campbell. Follow your bliss. Yep. You know, uh, follow your bliss. Uh, a recognition of death is a celebration of life. We're only here for a short period of time. Uh, maximize the time you've got. And, you know, trust and respect your muse. Right. I, I was watching uh, uh, Tony Bennett on Strombo there about a month ago, and uh, he was talking about uh, he had a drug addiction back in the 70s. And he talked to Lenny Bruce's manager. And uh, he said, what was it that, you know, how did Lenny, you know, you know, deal with all this stuff? And he said, Lenny sinned against his craft. You, you can't. Right. You can't sin against your craft. And I think that gets back to, you know, what we were talking about was, you know, honoring your word mm-hmm. and taking your chances. Yeah. And uh, I get pissed off at myself when um, I'll throw in old material sometimes j- just to fill a void uh, because, uh, you know, you want to 
you got to keep challenging yourself, you know. And when you feel like you're mailing it in or if you ever feel like you're sinning against your craft, you either reflect on it and sit back and say, okay, maybe maybe I've said what I have to say and maybe I have to explore the, the written word on the page where, you know, you don't have to depend on a laugh every 10 30 seconds, seconds, 30 yeah, seconds, yeah, you yeah. know. Uh, maybe you just, you know, explore that with... But I, t- I just can't see me not walking backstage on a stormy night on Wednesday somewhere in Red Deer and being psyched that I'm I'm going to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it's just, that's what fucking makes my heart hum, man. Well, I think uh, we better wrap this up. Yeah. It's been an, an hour uh, talk. And uh, Thanks, we, will, guys. we will be yeah. uh, putting all this on on our iTunes account, and uh, <laughs> yeah, we will. Well, well, we, well, that's what we do. We we we, okay. we cut certain clips in for the show, and then we post the Good. whole thing on iTunes. Yeah, well, I'll see you. I'll see you in court when Just for Laughs calls. Yeah, <laughs> don't worry. They've they've already come after me. They, they won't come after you. <laughs> all right, brother. Uh, but uh, make sure you tune in to CBC on New Year's Day, and the time of the show nine is nine o'clock. Nine brother. o'clock. Is that right across the country? Nine right o'clock. Across, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, the Ron James uh, holiday special. So uh, New Year's special. Please check that out. And thanks, Ron. I really appreciate you coming yeah, nice. in. Thank you, yeah, guys. Th- thank you so much for coming in, Ron. Great question. Right, right. Thanks. Well, that wraps up the Darren Frost uh, show interview with Ron James. Uh, Dave uh, was yeah. there. Dave was there in spirit. Uh, no, I, I was there. I got a couple of words in. You did. Normally, you going. have a reason when you don't talk a lot, like you're hungover or yeah. a chick broke your heart or something. But today is just nothing. Well, no, I, it's just uh, I didn't want to get in the way of, uh, of of Ron saying what he was saying. Yeah. I wanted to bring up the disgusting Glenn Foster poster that's hanging in the studio. On the wall where his cock's hanging out. No, he's the... not, his cock's not hanging out. That's but what man, his cock looks like at Christmas about tree. second opinions that someone yeah. should have got for a comedy poster. Anyways, it's radio, yeah. Dave. They can't see it. Uh, they could look it up and then and yeah. then barf in their mouth. There we go. There, exactly. Yeah. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us, and we also want to give a special thanks to Ron James. Please uh, check out his New Year's Day show on CBC at 9 o'clock right across our great country. And uh, a special shout-out to our producer, Victoria, and Paul the intern for making us sound good and putting this show together. If you want any more information, check out our iTunes account or our Facebook page. And like always, you can get a hold of Dave Martin at the DaveMartinWorld.com and myself at ComedyHorror.com or our Twitter is ComedyHorror well and Dave Martin World and then the Anything Goes uh, com, uh, Twitter handle is uh, Anything Goes Ha right then, yeah. that's it okay so that's it thanks uh, to everyone for listening and until next week we'll see you real soon yes yeah keep listening that's what we do oh yeah